I was yeah. reading up a little bit, and you started in 2018. And that was your first time in government ever. Ever. Okay, so take me to, was it inauguration day? Did you have an inauguration day? No, we had a swearing in. Okay, so swearing in day. So, uh, or let me, let's go before that. Yeah. To election day. Mm-hmm. Where were you? Like day one, you wake up, you have breakfast, you leave your house. Where'd you go on election day? Well, election day, I got up and voted. Okay. And, um, but also anybody who's running for office, I would say vote early the day before so that you can spend your day at the polls. But yeah. I've always like religiously, like that's it. I'm voting on election day. It's a sacred day. I'm not doing it any yeah. other day, but um, got to do it the day before. So on election day, I woke up, voted, um, headed to uh, some precincts to hold a sign and greet voters. And then there was, I think she was 94 at the time. She owned a little bar uh, called Toadie's in Burrowville, and she always hosted the watch party, like to see the results oh, come yeah, in. Yeah. So we went to Dora, that was her uh, her place, Dora's place, and uh, we watched the election results come in. And um, how many people were with you? All family, friends, and family, some friends, other candidates that were running. Okay. Um, same party. Same party. Same party. Okay. Yeah. Might be some fights if it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there wasn't one independent, or okay. actually, I don't think he ran for it. Yeah, he didn't run. Um, so we were watching the election results come in, and I just remember my husband saying, "You won," and I was like, "No, no, all the results haven't come in." He said, "No, no, you won," but statistically, I had won, but I didn't believe it. Right. And so I was like, "No, no, I have to see every precinct," and he's like, "Okay, <laughs> sure." Uh, but so I won all eleven precincts, and I will tell you this: so I had only moved into the district to North Smithfield, because the district is all of Burrowville, all of Gloucester, and a part of North Smithfield. I had only been in the district for two years, and um, I had no intention to run. Again, like I said, I wasn't really a political person, and I really, you know, put a lot of emphasis on national elections. It wasn't until I had kids that I realized local elections mm. were probably more important because those legislators, uh, you know, at the state level, at the town level, had more say over my everyday life than the President of the United States. We, we all learned that very quickly in 2020. Yeah. We yes. figured that out quick. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah, so um, no political experience whatsoever. I was just fed up with, with, with several things and a culmination of events kind of led me to run for office. And I actually tried to find someone else to run for office because um, I didn't think that I could. And I was like, well, you know, I'm just a regular person. Mm. And I don't, you know, what do I know about politics? Um, and nobody would run. And honestly, I didn't even know that many people in the district. You know, my kids were in school, but maybe I knew a handful of people. So I was like, fine, all right, I'll run. I'll do it. Nobody else wants to run. I'll do wow. it. And takes guts. <laughs> let me tell you, it was there. really tough. It was tough. But wow. and I'll say this too. Um, so I had decided to run against an incumbent that was there for 20 years. And everyone said, well, you'll have no shot, but it will be a really good experience for you. And I'm a very competitive person, so if I'm going to do it, I'm going to give it my all. Yep. And there's, you know, I'm not going to half, you know what, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the gentleman decided to retire. And so everyone's like, oh my God, it's an open seat, you have a chance. And then uh, another Republican, for those who don't know, I'm a Republican. Another Republican decided to jump into the race, and this guy was the town council president in the biggest town well, in District 23. Oh, yeah. And everybody loved him. Yeah. And he's a nice guy. Um, same party? Same party. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, 
maybe this is it, maybe this guy should run. So I'm going to call him and just see if he and I line up. Mm. But he didn't return my phone call and he didn't respond to my email. Mm. So like, this man wants to be a senator, wants to represent me, but won't return my call or my email. That's one thing I noticed about you. I message, I message and I get a response. Yeah. It's very impressive. So yeah. <laughs> I try. I yeah. Try. <laughs> um, I'm not to say that I don't miss phone calls or emails because yeah. they do happen because there's a lot of them. Oh, sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, he doesn't want to respond, then I'm, I'm going to run for office. And so I hit every door, so I, I canvassed, knocked on doors, just for the Republican primary, and some of those doors were three times, because he had a huge advantage. He was very well known, and everyone's like, well, I really like John, he's a nice guy. I was like, yeah, he is a nice guy. He should stay in the town council. He's doing a great job as town council president. And some people actually said to me, I like John where he is, so I'm willing to give you a shot in the state senate, but it's not because I like you more than I like John. I was like, no problem. I agree with you. John's a great guy. He mm. continued his work in the on the town council, and I won my primary by fifteen votes. What? Yeah, fifteen votes. How many total votes, approximately? Not many. Like yeah. Just over maybe, I say around three hundred and fifty votes, maybe. Okay. So really, it was actually tight. less than that. It was very small. That's one thing that we I think are starting to wake up to now. Just the general populace is that we've got to really participate in local elections. Yeah. We all just jump to what's on CNN and Fox and what's interesting, and yeah. we forget. And when you have kids, I don't have kids, but when you have kids, I'm sure you really, like you said, the alarm bells start going off, and it's that's where the impact is. Yeah. It's it is. really it's a little scary, but I mean, so 2018, you start election day. You're at that. Is it was restaurant you said? Yeah, Toadie's Tavern. Okay, and you win, and that realization doesn't hit you right away. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So how long did that take to um, sink in? I, I think, you know, with all the adrenaline going, I don't... You know, by the end of the evening, mm. you know, all the, the numbers that come in, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a state senator. What happens next? What do I do? You know, and... Yeah. Uh, the very next yeah, what day. You, what happens next, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like do I get a phone call? Like, I, I just. There's like, no training. No, there's no training. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. There's, you just. So, um, but I knew a couple of legislators who were, that I would reach out to during um, my canvassing and okay. as I was running for office to ask for advice, you know, do you think, you know, I should do this or do you think I should send this mailer out or, mm. you know, kind of like strategically, like they've won, so they know how to win. So I'm going to go to them and ask them. How did you win? How were you successful in order for me to be successful? So um, I did ha at least have uh, that. But uh, the very next day, my husband took the day off, and we figured we'd go to Johnny's, Johnny's Victory Diner. Mm -hmm. um, and we had breakfast, and then we were going to collect all the signs that I had on in the district. And I kid you not, I tripped in the road, fell, broke my hand. What? Yes. The very next day, I was so mad at myself. I had this, like... <laughs> This uh, V-shaped crack in my um, from my thumb to my index finger, but it was on my left hand. And the doctor was like, "Is that your writing hand?" I was like, "No." He said, "Good, because you need to see an orthopedic surgeon." I was like, "What? Are you like, I just went from this super high yeah. to feeling so, you know." Within 24 hours. Within 24 hours, but um, I don't I don't know what happened, but um, I brought my X-rays, and the doctor's like, "Well, your hand's healing just fine." And so I ended up not needing surgery or anything like okay, that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was Day one, already <laughs> bleeding for hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but uh, it was, um, you know, it was exciting, but also a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So day, so that next day, you're out there, and did anyone call you? Is there any type of structure for that statewide? Is there, is there a funnel, so to say? Yeah. Um, 
I actually did get a call now I'm thinking about it because I yeah. haven't really thought about it for a while. I got a call from the minority leader and Who was um, that at the time? Dennis Algier. He okay. just retired this year. Okay. And um, he said we're gonna have a caucus and that's just a fancy word for a meeting of, you know, Republicans. So there's the Democrat caucus and the Republican caucus okay. in the Senate. Same thing with the House. There's all those terminology that you hear. Yeah, it's like, Ooh, it caucus, what is that? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Just a meeting. Okay. So we, we meet, and um, um, and then we actually have an election for leadership uh, in the caucus. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know anyone, and I'm not really, you know, politically, in, you know, connected in any way, so I don't really know um, enough to make any changes in leadership. So I was like, I'm going to vote for the current leadership. I'm going to sit my first year, learn, obviously, you know, um, bring whatever it is that I have to the table, but I wanted to learn. Mm. You know, I wasn't going to walk in and say, you know, well, this is what we're going to do because, you know, yeah. we've got great ideas. Yeah. I just wanted to learn and see how Smart. does how, how does everything operate. Everyone would be much more receptive, I think, if you approach it that way, right? Yeah. You come in so. like a know-it-all, ready to go. It's, it's gonna, they're going to shut you out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. so you went in with an approach of how can I, what can I do? What can I learn? Yeah. And I actually asked the then legal counsel, I said, what could I have done to have prepared myself um, to be a senator and he said absolutely nothing there's no class you can take no college course um, this is an education in itself so it made me feel better mm. so I was like okay everyone's yeah. been there kind of thing everyone yeah square one gotcha wow that's the thing that none of us think about we all think senators yeah they know what they're doing they, <laughs> you know what I mean and it's to say that there's nothing in the beginning where you know you want to be a I don't know a doctor or a teacher there's a system for it Mm -hmm. Senator, there's none? No, no. I mean, there are other people there who have political experience. Like one of my colleagues who is now the whip. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, you know, there's a leader, there's a whip, and then there's like deputy uh, roles. And he was a town councilor and then town council president. So he has in-depth knowledge on how municipal governments work. So when issues regarding municipal government come to the state house, he's our expert. Oh, okay. You know, okay, it's gotcha. like, hey, Gordon, this came up. What do you, you mean? You were a counselor. What do you think? Like, mm. And he's very knowledgeable. Um, he also has a background. He's a farmer, so he has agricultural experience, and he's on agriculture committee. So we go to him when we're asking questions about uh, solar arrays and, and mm. anything like that, and uh, animal husbandry, whatever it is. Yeah, we go yeah. to him. and. So I think everybody has their strengths. We have small business owners. We have attorneys. One guy's a geologist. Uh, I think one is, a, you know, the mental health area. We have teachers. I, so mm. it's good to have those different perspectives. Um, for me, I look at it like it, I'm. I come at it as just a regular person who has her little things on the side, her business, you know. Uh, I don't know, a business venture and as a mom as a Rhode Islander and as a daughter of immigrants because you know I hate to sound so cheesy you know because sometimes people are like oh you know how can you love a country well my parents left their country their family their friends their culture their language they left it all to come to America to assimilate into the culture because they thought that America was a place of freedom but also a place of opportunity for them and they country has afforded my family a lot of opportunities and um, the ability to 
provide for themselves. So when I look at things like, is something constitutional? Mm. I take constitutional matters very seriously. Um, again, because when I look at my parents, they sacrificed to come here mm. because they thought America was a great place because, um, and it is. And, and so uh, I'm a stickler for the constitution. <laughs> Not many left. <laughs> so, There's you know. Especially in, I think, our neck of the woods where I, I was born and raised in Rhode Island. Um, and I've just noticed over the years growing up here, there's been more and more of an erosion of those constitutional rights. And in the last few years, two years specifically, we've seen that's been on full display. Yeah. And we don't need to go into too deep unless you want to, but I, I, I think I've seen a few of the hearings and I think it was during testimony times during... Uh, COVID lockdowns, extending of the state of emergency, um, all the way to uh, the gun legislation that was just recently passed. And so all these different things, I think a lot of people are for safety. I think a lot of people want to make sure they get home at night and nobody's dying on the streets and no one's getting shot or dying from sicknesses. But at what line do we draw for safety? You know, and, and I think that's the great balance of America is that we're safe and we're free. And finding that balance in the last two years was very difficult, I think, especially for Rhode Island. It didn't really rise to the challenge, you know, and I don't think if you if you look at the numbers and you, you compare, let's just take COVID, for example, and you go from Rhode Island to Massachusetts to Georgia to South Carolina, and you look at all the different political climates and then look at how COVID is behaving, there wasn't much discrepancy based on legislation or executive orders that were passed. There wasn't much discrepancies right. and it was almost in ignoring the science when it wasn't convenient but following it when it was for a specific side and it was just frustrating especially from my perspective being in the music industry yeah. and shut down for a year and a half and right off right off the bat in the very beginning I want to make sure I wasn't being selfish I'm thinking about it it's not about me, me, me right now. The world is going through something. We don't know what that is. We don't know how long this is going to last. Let's, let's stick it out. Let's just be cordial and, and calm and figure it out. We'll figure it out together. And then we got six months in, and we were in the summertime, and things kind of got a little normal, but not really. And then fall came back, and the world went right back into it, full swing. Yeah. And I think that's when there was a branching off politically where a lot of states were like, we're done with this closure and lockdown we're going to be yes you can wear your mask yes you can we're going to try and get you treatments and shots but the state can't control a virus to the magnitude that some of these states think they can mm -hmm. there's a line to how much we can actually control the virus and i think that there's 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 many things we can do but i think the measures that rhode island i think took impeded on so much liberty and so much freedom that for people like myself, we just bought this bus a year and a half ago when it was all going down. We built it out so that we could get on the road, so that we could move to a place where we could invest. So we know that there's going to be a sense of freedom in the future and not an infringement on those basic liberties that we need to just survive economically. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the last, I mean, and that goes to the gun legislation as well. And, and look at the gun legislation, another infringement on constitutional rights and that's up for debate of course but from my perspective what the big move in Rhode Island was was to take the round capacity the magazine round capacity down from whatever it was to 10 and to me I don't know how that makes Rhode Islanders safer 
I don't know how that keeps Rhode Islanders safer. If somebody's going to commit a crime like a public shooting, they're not going to look at how many rounds they're allowed to have. They're going to find it. If there's one thing that's been proven, government can't control drugs, the prohibition, it didn't work. Right. So we've got to figure out a way to address issues in another way than just trying to slap it out. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to work. And, and yeah. Rhode Island, that's, I don't mean to rant on you, but I, just, <laughs> I look at it that I'm, I'm really, in a way, fed up with the way that things were handled in Rhode Island for the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I love this place. I love it. And it, in a way, it really breaks my heart to say, I got to leave right now because mm -hmm. I don't know what the future is going to look like. If there's another cold sickness virus, whatever it might be, what that's going to look like, who's going to take advantage of what. And so we're going to be on the road. We're going to go places like Tennessee, Florida, Texas, places that we know have been open. Yeah. And so it's just... As a Rhode Island Senator, I hate to say that to you because you're working so hard to keep people here, to keep good things here. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, like we take the gun legislation. What happened that night? I'm, because it was a late night. I, I remember watching some of the, the films. Some of my friends were at the State House, and it seemed like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. I want to just go back really quickly to the to the pandemic. Yeah. Because, you know, just before we saw. What was happening? You know, I was remember watching the news, and there was talks in China about China and this virus. And I even remember my husband going on Amazon buying some masks before the hysteria. So he was like, "Well, just in case." And I was like, "All right, whatever." So we had a little box, maybe of like 50 masks or 20 masks. I don't know. Um, we're not, you know, medical professionals, so we didn't know that that would do right. nothing. Yeah. But you know, we're like, "Okay, yeah, sure." And then I remember um, telling my husband, "Yeah, I'm not sending the kids to school." Um, for the next couple of days because the weekend's coming and there's this talk of this virus so I'm just going to keep them home and I did and you know you saw people dying in the streets in China and of course everybody was scared mm. and so I think everybody was willing in the beginning to say totally. okay yeah, yeah two weeks to slow the spread well a couple of months okay yeah until the summertime mm. sure like you said um, there wasn't a lot of pushback because everybody was like we just don't know enough about it so let's be safe mm. okay that was good you know um I, I, I wasn't against that. What I took issue with was the fact that Roger Williams founded Rhode Island to be a safe haven for for those with differing beliefs. And he was excommunicated from the Massachusetts Bay Colony because of his beliefs. And so when he founded Rhode Island, he said, it doesn't matter what you believe, what you worship, who, I mean, who you worship, in Rhode Island, you can worship as you see fit. So we have the first Jewish synagogue in America mm. here in Rhode Island. We have the first Baptist church in America here in Rhode Island. That was very unusual for the day because either you were Quaker or you were, you know, Puritan or whatever it was, and there was no mixing, mm. you know. So we have individuals in the state who, for whatever reason, felt that the vaccine was... Um, you know, not good for them because, you know, uh, they felt it, it violated their religious beliefs. And I'm reminded that during the smallpox pandemic, not only did we institute the vaccination through the legislature, not through executive order, and, and, and smallpox was deadlier than COVID. Mm. We did it through the legislature, through democratic norms. And not only did we allow for religious and for medical exemptions, we allowed conscientious objections. So if you objected to the vaccine for smallpox for those reasons, you could you could forego taking the vaccine. For any reason. For any reason. 
Mm. So it went beyond just medical and religious, but to conscientious. Because maybe you're not a, a religious person where you go to church, but maybe you're, you know, uh, you worship Mother Earth, and you feel like Mother Earth has, you know, all the solutions for you, or, mm. you know, and so you don't want to um, ingest something into your body like that, or inject. Into I don't your even body. take Tylenol. <laughs> some people I don't. I actually stuff. had I just... some people tell me, like, <laughs> I don't even take. But I'll take, I mean, young, growing up, we had vaccines. Yeah. If, I, if I'm really sick, need antibiotics, I'll take them. I'm not yeah. against it. But if I can go without it. And you want to go natural. Yeah. So I just take issue with, we abandoned constitutional norms, mm. and then we abandoned the principles of the founding of the state, which was the right to uh, self-autonomy, to exercise your religious beliefs and even your, you know, your medical state. So um, that was the, the issue that I took. Because I always say I'm not anti-vaccine, I'm pro-vaccine, mm. but I'm anti-coercion. You cannot coerce individuals into doing something that they feel is morally yeah. wrong. Yeah. And when it came to the Second Amendment, and I know that sounds like radical, but like it should not be a radical thought, or like idea. No. Some people say to me, oh, that's so extreme. It's not extreme. It's not extreme at all. And what's extreme is you fire healthcare workers because they don't have a vaccine, but then you have a shortage of medical personnel, so you ask them to come back mm. during a pandemic, and at one point, at a state hospital, it didn't matter if you were COVID positive, because they needed you so badly that they asked you to come back. So you would have COVID positive doctors? COVID positive individuals. anybody in the hospitals? Yes, state hospitals. not. So state hospitals would be like Eleanor Slater Hospital, yeah. not women and infants or um, Rhode Island okay. hospital things, uh, hospitals like that. But we actually asked people to come back, and it was a slap in the face. So the science behind the previous infection shows you that, you, in many studies, that they were six times more likely to be able to defend against the virus, mm -hmm. more protection, six times more protection, than somebody with the vaccine. Now, yeah. I don't know how long and how, how much that's held up, but was there any conversation of previous infected people can also, with this vaccine card, which I thought was a little crazy too, but with that whole fiasco, why wasn't that also granted to anybody who has been previously infected? Because they're better protected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, that's something that should have been through the committee. You go through Health and Human Services Committee and you bring those up and you hash them out in committee and then come to a decision. But we didn't have that opportunity because we had one man make all the rules, all the decisions, and um, it was bad for Rhode Island. It was did, bad for the democratic process. Did you get any type of opportunity to talk to the governor? No. Any personal? No, we tried. In fact, I would, you know, people who are voting because it's election time, you know, research who your rep and senator are. The senators refused to come back. The only ones that um, were proposing to come back and even just have a vote. Um, were the Republicans, I hate to say it, you know, it's not to, uh, to be a partisan person, but in the House there were Democrats and Republicans. There were. Yes. So oh. if you're looking to see who you're going to vote for, I, that's an important factor for me. Again, constitutional norms, um, those are important. And you're elected to do your job, even if it's dangerous. Mm. And we could have met at the Civic Center, um, distanced with masks, whatever, with plexiglass, you know, I joked around, they look like hockey, you know, those yeah, penalty yeah. boxes. <laughs> like, whatever it yeah. takes, we can meet, we can we can um, discuss these, yeah. because it's important. And we're elected to represent these, in, these individuals in our district. 
And so when you take away the ability for us to represent our district, um, their voice is not heard. That's a, essentially what's happening, is their voices are muted, they don't have a say at the state house. Um, moving to the gun legislation, boy, you, um, all the hot topic issues. Right, right in one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Before we jump on that. Oh, yeah, go ahead. The, the conversations in between across party lines, because that's really where I'm interested. Mm -hmm. I'm registered unaffiliated, Good. independent, and mm -hmm. I think that's... I really would like to think that's where we should try and get to as mm -hmm. just Americans to try and be unaffiliated because if we are, it makes us more open-minded and yeah. less attached to a whole set of beliefs. But I I just, I got to believe the good in people and humanity as a whole that people are more willing to try and find a solution than let their ego run away from them. Was there any type of conversation that you had with Democrats, you don't need to name them, through that time, 2020 to 2021 and a half, so, where you had cordial conversations with across party lines where they say, yeah, we kind of agree with you, I think we should. Did you have any of those, any type of? I did, I, I talked to all my colleagues. I don't care if you're a progressive or you're you know, uber conservative. I talked to everybody and anybody who's willing to talk to me because there's some people who they're like, uh, you know, they won't give me the time of day. And it's like, okay, whatever. But I firmly believe that I can learn something from you and you can learn something from me right. if we're willing to have the exchange of ideas and information. And when it comes to political parties, you know, I think of George Washington who's like, you know, I don't like political parties because when one's in power, they will punish the other one and vice versa. So, um, I think, it, I, it, and people ask me, why don't you put Republican on your palm card when you're talking to voters? I was like, well, you know, I had to pick a party, and um, but I want people to vote for me based on who I am, what I believe, and what I've done, and not for the letter after my name. Yeah. So um, I think it's kind of lazy, honestly, to be like, okay, Republican, Democrat, that's what I'm voting for. Um, but there's a little bit of tribalism where you, you know, almost like a mental shortcut, like, mm. oh yeah, Democrat for them or oh yeah Republicans would vote for them but you can have really great Democrats and yeah. really great Republicans but you also have some really bad Democrats and some crazy Republicans you know like yeah that's what I saw the yeah. last I mean I, I've I was more leaning towards Republican before pandemic I started to come closer to the middle because you start to see a lot of like the far right stuff everything from Q thing the mm -hmm. QAnon thing and all that stuff so you see all this conspiracy theory stuff that's really far out there on both sides and it's like, man, I gotta just stop for my own self, not for anybody else, my own self, stop affiliating. So I can start to think objectively. Because yeah. I think what Democrats do a phenomenal job with is calling out problems. I think they call problems out, like let's say, whether it be climate, with if we can try and use a better, get a better solution, what that is and where we find that, I don't know yet. But I think they, they have good intentions as far as uh, let's try and go green. Let's try and be safer. Let's try. I mean, I think we want that for mm -hmm. our younger generations. And but I think where the confusion comes in is where the solutions are presented. And like for the gun legislation, we can jump on that. Is yes, I think we've got a a gun, a more so a behavior problem with the country, with the world, and when we're presented with a problem like school shootings or public shootings. It's so easy to just say the gun is to blame. Or if you're, I mean, if you're a child, if you're three years old and you fall off a couch and you fall off it again and you fall off it for a third time, you're not going to associate that couch as dangerous right. because you're young and you don't understand that you shouldn't be climbing up there that young and without some support or something. 
So th I think we've got this false association with firearms in this country for a lot of people is they look at them as they're just dangerous. And there's not a lot of yearning, I think, from the left to learn about them, understand them, understand why it's important that we have them. But I also think there's not a lot of reason from the right to understand the objections from the left. Because they're, I think, on the right is just saying, we want our guns, don't touch them. We're not going down that slippery slope, period, full stop. But I think there is a good, a good point to the fact that we should do something in the realm of guns as far as making it more difficult for somebody who has bad intentions to get them. How do we find that? I don't think we get safer by limiting capacities of magazines. I think that only attacks law-abiding citizens. Mm -hmm. And so with Rhode Island passing that, what was it, six months ago or less than a year? Yeah, it was less than a year, I just mean, a few months ago. Anybody who has their concealed carry license, anybody who's gone through proper channels, which is extensive training, extensive, you have to be very good with firearm, you have to take a lot of time to learn, mm -hmm. and you have to be clear in your background. You can't have any type of felony charges or anything like that. And so there's a very good system for that in place. And the legislation that was passed, from my understanding, it only affects those people. It only affects the people that are really following the law. Yeah. I mean, we didn't touch schools. We didn't make schools safer. We didn't, from, from what I understand, you correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but we didn't touch schools. We didn't make the, the infrastructure around them safer. We didn't implement additional school police, uh, anything like that. And I'm, not, I, I'm the first person to say, I don't want guns floating around the hallways of middle schools. At Rhode right. I think it's kind of crazy, but yeah. I think we should have police officers that are trained. If we can throw tens and hundreds of millions of dollars overseas to other countries, we can do that at home. And I think as a taxpayer, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It really is. And so I, I, we go back to that gun legislation. Like, it seemed like it was late. It was like 8 or 9 o'clock. Wasn't it late when they introduced it? I don't remember when, but I just, I remember, because I'm, I, as, I was whipped at the time, so I had what we call ex-officio privileges. Ex-officio means that I'm a member of all committees, even though I have my, my committees that I'm dedicated to, which were labor and oversight, because I'm ex-officio, I am also technically a member of all the committees, so I can come in whenever I want and, and vote on the committee. So um, I jumped in. I just want to go back to one thing that you said. Yes, firearms are dangerous. There are so many things in this world that are dangerous. Um, you know, I, I, my boys are young, but I want them to be as self-sufficient as possible. So I've been teaching them how to cook for themselves. You know, obviously with supervision, mm -hmm. yeah. and and they use knives. And they're and they started pretty young. Actually, my youngest was during COVID. I was like, okay, we're gonna learn how to use the oven and how to make an omelet and how to cut veggies. Nice. And um, it's dangerous, and they could cut themselves. Um, but you have to understand there's a risk. You have to learn um, how to properly use the tool, right? And, um, but there's always gonna be that risk. I mean, I still slice sometimes my, yeah. my finger, right? right? And I'm, I'm 41 years old, yep. you know? So with firearms, are they dangerous? Absolutely, you know? I've told my kids, if you're at someone's house and you see a firearm, don't touch it, assume that it's loaded and get out immediately mm. and tell an adult um, because it's a deadly weapon. It, you, you can injure yourself or someone else. You can kill someone. Um, but it doesn't mean um, that, it, like you said, you know, the kid falls off couches, the couch is fault. No, it's, I would say, first time, second time, you know, third, fourth time, I say, hey, the parent is really not maybe paying attention to the child. But um, so it's about, um, it's about education. 
Mm. And uh, when it comes to what you said about are we really protecting the young people in schools? Well, you know, I put forth an amendment to give every school in Rhode Island, uh, or every school district in Rhode Island, half a million dollars in order to fortify their schools. And every single Democrat voted against it. Wait. On the Senate floor, I put in a budget amendment. We have over $600 million surplus. I said every school, every school district gets half a million dollars to fortify their schools. So their doors or locks or put cameras or invest it into a police officer, whatever they want. They're going to take half a million dollars to fortify their schools. And every single Democrat voted no. It's that tribal. I mean, there's not it one It is absolutely reason. that tribal in the Senate. The problem, the reason why it's so tribal is because it's so lopsided. And so for about 80 to 90 years, we've had a supermajority of Democrats. And so, you know, when I talk to some of my colleagues, I'll give you one example. On a, it was a, an issue on taxation, and I got up on the Senate floor and I was giving you know reasons why and statistics. And one of my Democrat colleagues came up to me and said, "Jess, you were so good on the floor, you were amazing, but you forgot to mention this, this, and this." And I was like, "Oh wow, those, yeah, those are really great points." And then I was like, "Wait a minute, legit." I was like, "Wait a minute, you voted against it. You didn't vote with me." He goes, "Yeah, I got a call from upstairs, and they told me I had to vote with them. Otherwise, what? yes." So leadership will call their membership and say, you have to vote with us, otherwise you're not going to get your legislation, or otherwise we're going to do this to you. And it's they blackmail. Have. It is what it is. But because there isn't a balance at the legislature, which is primarily, not, not primarily, because actually I was an unaffiliated voter for a very long time. Mm. When I registered to vote, my parents weren't yet American citizens. So when I registered to vote, the lady said, Democrat or Republican, and I said, what's, what's that? What's, what? You didn't know. I, I had no idea. All I knew is that my parents love this country, and it was like, I'm going to be a good citizen, I'm going to register to vote, I'm going to be, you know, as engaged oh. as possible, right? So the lady says to me, I guess she was frustrated, I, I don't know, but I just remember her saying to me, well, this state were mostly Democrats, so you should just register as a Democrat. And I joke around with people, and I say, I think my distrust for government was birthed at that moment. Yeah. And I was like, uh, and I just remember having a conversation in my head, like, I don't know what that is, and I don't know what that is. But I know what an unaffiliated is, so I'm going to be unaffiliated. And I was for many, many years, just in, up until, you know, maybe a couple years or so. I, I can't remember exactly how long before the election that I was like, well, I vote mostly Republican, so mm. I'm going to, I won't disaffiliate every time, I'll just be a Republican. Um, so it is very tribal up there. I think if we had more balance, then there would be, you know, a more honest exchange. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, we, Republicans even put forth um, a budget amendment to suspend the gas tax because things were so expensive and right. like families are really hurting. This is their money. The surplus is their tax dollars. We took too much. Let's get that back. Every Democrat voted against it. Do they not want to give you victory? Is that why? It's just, it doesn't make sense because <laughs> that's know. good for the people. Well, and then we, we also had an amendment for heating assistance for those who in the winter were like, there's going to be a lot of people who can't afford heating because the cost for groceries has doubled. Mine has. Mm -hmm. I used to pay like 150 for a family of five and that was like, you know, like putting aside like we're going to have like lasagna this night and I'm going to make pork chops this night or whatever. Yeah. And now I'm like $300. And then my heating is going to go up 40% in the winter and my electricity is going to almost double as well. It's 40%. Like, how are we going to afford this? Yeah. So let's put in more money into this fund for those who are going to be struggling this summer, this winter. Okay, I see. Yeah. All but one Democrat voted against it. 
one Democrat broke ranks to vote with the Republicans to give more heating assistance. So, of course, we didn't have the numbers, so that budget amendment went down. I don't understand. I, I, I hate to say Unfathomable. That. <coughs> you have, like, do you have people on, on the other side of the aisle that you know that without the oversight, let's say the, what, what's the committee? Is it called committee? Um, yeah, the com there's committees, yeah. The people where you said your, your friend that had received a call, what did he... Oh, yeah, that was, was that um, he got a call from leadership, so leadership. Democrat okay. leadership. Like, so I would be considered Senate Republican leadership, mm -hmm. and then there's, like, there's the president, the majority leader, and the majority whip. And then on the, the Republican side, because we're in the minority, we have the minority leader and the minority whip. Okay, so it would be, like, the majority... What's the name? What's the majority leader. Majority leader. Thank you. Thank you. The terminology I'm struggling it's with. It's okay. So majority leader is calling on all the other senators or representatives to follow suit with what the main objective might be. Yes. Do you guys do the same on your side? Um, no. So if I want my colleague to vote a certain way, then I'm going to ask them to vote. Right? If they are like, oh, I don't know, then I'm going to explain why I think they should vote the way that I think they should vote mm -hmm. and provide data and facts and, and whatever it is to try to persuade them to vote a certain way. Um, and if they choose not to, then that's their decision. And there's not, you know, I, there's no punitive damages. There's no, no, like, I'm not going to punish them because that's not, that's not what we should be doing. It's not democratic yeah. in any sense. <laughs> no, T not at tyranny. all. Tyranny. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a form of that, and it's it's. Yeah. How is that something like that not illegal? How is there not? I mean, the legislators would have to pass but legislation. How, how against would you that. be able to prove it? Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, I what my husband say this is a teacher uh, for for a long time. He said uh, something about if the rule is unenforceable, then you're just asking for it to be broken. So if you're going to enforce the rule, make sure that there are you know that you can enforce it. So it, having having a rule like that, it's like, who's going to admit that someone's trying to strong-arm them into yeah. voting a certain way? It's, it takes a certain level of courage to say, no, I need to represent my constituency, and they definitely would be against this, so I'm going to be against it too. There are instances, I know this is going to blow your mind, but there are instances in which people will say, to leadership, and I don't know if it's the president, the majority leader, or the whip, or all three, They'll say, this is a really important issue to my district. They're really pro-2A. So if I vote yes on these bills, I could um, lose my election. And so they'll seek permission to vote their conscience or to vote the way that they feel is the right vote. This really happens. <laughs> I know this blows people's minds, but if we had balance of the legislature... So that's why I say it's like... Um, if you want to run for office and you're an independent or libertarian, most likely you won't win because it, the third party, it, it's a very difficult task. I'm not saying it's impossible, it's mm. very difficult to do. Um, run as a Republican because your views probably more closely align with the Republican Party and we need more Republicans or more independent thinkers, mm -hmm. independent people. Um, Are you trying to recruit me right now? <laughs> sure, we actually need someone running for office in Newport if you, if you want to run. <laughs> Well, in we two have a lot of friends. <laughs> I mean, hey, the, the Newport district is. I think. Uh, I think there was one guy that ran in, as an independent in Newport mm -hmm. and did pretty well, and and that gives me hope. It really does because I think the independent mindset. Again, I I would like to think that if America could get away from the party systems, and I don't know what you would think about this, but 
get away from the party systems. And it's bad to have a one-party system. And you saw what happened with Germany with that, when, when that went down. But when we look at it and we say, what about a no-party system? It makes it very difficult to decide who you're voting for, but it should be. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be. It should be easy to vote, but it should be difficult to find out who exactly you believe in. You should, you should spend an hour, maybe uh, the week of elections, maybe one hour a night, 30 minutes a night to look up. Go to their website. You've got a great website. Call them. Just, just call them. Go to their website and look at their set of beliefs. And it would probably take you an hour before you go vote to go sit in your car and look at well, look at this guy does, look at this girl does. And compare those rather than just say that guy's red, this guy's blue. I've always been blue. I'm just going to go this way. Yeah. It's it's sad. And I, and I I just put uh, went up to Vermont and did you know they have a Republican governor? Um, Vermont, state of Vermont. What's the governor? I think I it's not in Lamont because I think that's. It might be. I'm not sure though. Maybe it's New Hampshire. I don't know, but I forget. I should know his name. <laughs> but the the Republican governor is a Republican governor in Vermont, and then the state legislature is dominantly Democrat. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's kind of the spirit of America. That's pretty much how it should be. It should be opposite powers constantly fluctuating. His popularity has grown and grown and grown each election cycle. And I'm just curious about that state. I haven't learned about it. I'm curious about the politics in that state. Uh, a good friend of ours is uh, involved with Florida polit- politics. Very well connected. Um, and I had a, a performance uh, at, his, at his house one evening and had some of his guests over, amazing human being, very, very genuine. When he talks about some of these issues, it's not so much, uh, you, can, you can see through the BS with a lot of people, and he walks the walk. You can see, I've known him for a while, and he's just, he cares deeply about America. He Im- comes from an immigrant family, um, and he looks at what's happening in this country, and he's genuinely fearful of some of the stuff that's taking place. And one of the things that uh, one of the senators said to me that night that they had they had a, a dinner, and one of the things that senator said was, Florida is dominantly independent. There's more registered Democrats. This was according to I think 2020's elections. There are more Democrats than there are Republicans in Florida. That blew my mind. I always thought it was the other way around. Mm. And I don't know the exact numbers, but there's such a massive amount of independence in the state of Florida that they are the ones that control the actual election. It's not the two parties. The two parties, I think it's like eight million, I mean, I could be way off on that, but they're so close in how many registered Republicans and registered Democrats that there's, the full control lies with the independents. And so he was saying that we we try to be as level-minded as possible because we want to appeal to the American that is independent-minded that's gonna look at issue by issue and not just go with the whole full slate. And the other thing he said, which was interesting, and I wonder if you guys do the same, is that we try not to pay attention to national politics. He said, we try to steer away from that and try and focus on Florida and what's important to Florida in that time, because we're serving the people of Florida. And the governor of Vermont said the same thing. And I think if that's more of a focus, I think more state issues would be solved faster. And I wonder if Rhode Island is that and I was thinking that for a while, and I kind of lost that that belief because as soon as the Uvalde shooting happened, that's when legislation in Rhode Island was passed. Yeah. And I'm looking at it like, yes, we should do something, but there's such a quick response to all the federal politics, all the, the national politics that takes place. I'm seeing here in Rhode Island, and I'm looking at it like, well, is that helping Rhode Islanders? Is the things that are being passed, is there more talk in Rhode Island 
about things that are happening here or more talk about national politics? Um, so we, as a state, when it comes to governor and the legislature, I just want your listeners to know that Rhode Island probably has the weakest governor in the entire country, and not that I'm saying, oh, Dan McHugh's weak, hmm. um, but um, constitutionally speaking, he's the weakest governor probably in the entire country. Um, the person who holds the most power in this state is the Speaker of the House. So people think, oh, governor, most powerful executive. It's the Speaker. He's the most powerful person in the state. And he drives a lot of um, the legislation and policy that um, is adopted here in the state. Not to say that the governor doesn't have powers, because he does, um, but um, just so you know, is what. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just the way our constitution was made up, kind of like the checks and balances thing. So, so we I, actually, there are actual more powers granted to the secretary, or not secretary. I wouldn't say more power, but the Speaker of the House is the most powerful person because um, he really, I would say, controls the budget. So the governor gives his proposal for oh, the budget, okay. but the Speaker is like, nah, taking this out, taking this out, I'm going to put this in. And the governor say, I worked with the Speaker and we came up with this. You know, is that uh, just Rhode Island, or is that? I don't know about other states, because honestly, oh, like when you yeah. say, do people pay attention to local, uh, national politics? When reporters ask me about national politics, I am I'm truthful when I say I am laser focused on Rhode Island politics. Do I pay pay attention? Sure, I catch things, but there are so many issues in Rhode Island. Yeah. Like I only have so much space, you know. Um, I'm going to say like ROM or, you know, whatever. Bandwidth. Bandwidth. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I am trying to do my best yeah. for Rhode Island. So, yes, national politics, that's happening, and, you know, but I'm not going to get in the nitty gritty of national politics. I'm trying to get into the nitty gritty of what's happening here in Rhode Island. So, um, and like um, those, those other states that you mentioned, we have more registered unaffiliated voters um, in Rhode Island. And Democrats and Republicans. Re Republicans are teeny tiny majority. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, minority. I can say super minority in the state. Um, so, yeah, when I canvass, most of my voters are unaffiliated. Wow. But I'll talk to anybody, and I knock on everybody's door, including Democrats. You know, the, we call the soft Democrats and hard Democrats. So the soft Democrats could go maybe, way. you know, yeah. vote for Republican once in a while, and then there's those hard Democrats that, you know, 99% of the time, they're not going to give you the time of day, but... Well, so what are some values from the Democratic Party that you carry, um, that you believe in, that you would look at and say, yeah, I agree with, maybe I don't agree with the approach or the way they're going, presenting yeah. a solution, but anything, environment, weapons, anything? Um, I think the Republicans get a bad rap for environment, but I think that Republicans care about the environment just as much as Democrats do. You know, do you want to preserve our planet for future generations for our children? You know, I live in North Smithfield because I like the green space. Mm -hmm. I like the, the hikes with the kids. You know, do I want to destroy the environment? No. But I think, um, like you had alluded to earlier, which is, I think we care about the same issues, but we believe um, how to fix them. We go about it differently and believe differently. But I think, you know, we all care about kids and kids' safety at schools. They, I think that we should fortify our schools and make schools safer. Um, and they think we should just ban firearms. Well, then it's like, um, mm. I don't think that's the solution. And, you know, going back, because we didn't get to talk about the firearms thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about um, 
you know, when I told you, like, the culmination of events that led me to run for office, of course it was, like, education, because the education was, like, it was just, you know, I couldn't afford to send my kids to private school, so what was I going to do? What were my choices? I could move, I could homeschool, you know, so I moved, because I couldn't homeschool, and I, uh, it just didn't work out, and I couldn't afford to send my kids to private school, so I moved to a district that had better schools. Um, and, um, of course, taxes, and I just felt like it was, you know, suffocating families. And then... There was a Second Amendment because I had applied for my license to carry a concealed firearm. Mm -hmm. I had a mental health therapist write me a letter of recommendation. My neighbor, who was a police officer, a city council member, president of my gun club, and my pastor at the time. Not my husband, but my pastor. Because <laughs> 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 I told you my husband, but yeah. at that time he was not uh, a pastor. And um, so all attesting to my, you know, yeah. character. Notable people. Yes. Right. And was denied and was given a reason. And my only recourse was to go to the Rhode Island Supreme Court to hear my case. And thankfully, the Rhode Island Supreme Court heard my case, and they said, listen, if you're going to deny her, they admonished him and said, if you deny her, you have to give her a reason. You can't just deny people. And he had already been to the Supreme Court for the same issue, and they had said the same thing. Um, and the situation left me very, like, you know, hell, hell hath no fury. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it was at a Second Amendment event that I met a rep, a female rep, Sherry Roberts, and she said, you know, you should run for office. I was like, no, absolutely not. I hate politics. I hate politicians. And I think it's really dirty business. And she says, yeah, it's all true. It is. And she's like, but that's why we need people to run for office mm. who, um, who think like you. And, and I think that you, um, you know, would be a good person, whatever she said to finally get me to run. Um, so I did. So the second amendment for me, and as a mom of three boys, um, you know, of course I, I care about children. I, I worry yeah. about my children every day. When they leave the house, I say I pray for them before they leave, uh, of protection, you know, uh, because I know that this world is a crazy place, mm. and they're my babies. And um, so I want to do everything that I can to protect children, not just because of my children, but, you know, I, I know the love that I have for my kids, so I understand that every kid that goes to school has a mom and a dad that are home that are just as concerned. And, um, but we have to balance that with the law and with constitution and personal rights. And we know that individuals, in fact, I would say this, uh, it's the CDC had released, in, in, I think with the FBI, I have the information at home that I use for committee. Yeah. Um, they found that concealed carry holders have the lowest rates yeah. of incidents of crime mm -hmm. because they have more to lose, even more so than police officers and, you know. Way more to lose. Yeah. You know? And so... When you're talking about law-abiding citizens and you're targeting these people, you're targeting the wrong people. And when I was in committee and I asked the uh, chief in Providence, I said, you know, essentially, I forgot exactly the questioning, but the way that I asked it, he answered and knew immediately that he had um, proven my point, which was, I said, when, if we ban magazine capacity that, or limit it to 10, will um, criminals adhere yeah. to this law? And he said, no. There you go. That's the... That was the answer. Yeah. And so why are we going to pass this legislation if we know that criminals aren't going to follow the law? It's not law-abiding citizens. And so first of all, either they're going to obviously disregard the law and continue to have these magazines that carry however many you know, magazine rounds, or we'll see you know, other shooters in other states who have had multiple magazines on their persons and mm. then just... Once one magazine is empty, they insert another magazine. If someone is intent on committing a crime, they're going to follow it through. And, um, you know, one of the arguments that I made on the Senate floor was, 
you know, they'd say, it's not a mental health issue. Well, I'm sorry, if you're going to shoot up a school, you know, first you're going to shoot your grandmother in the face, because we're talking about Evaldi, right? The kid shot his grandmother in the face, stole the car, drove it into a ditch, brandished the weapon, which is also a crime, shot into a crowd, and then he ran across the street into a school and killed students. You're telling me that that person is mentally well? No. You cannot tell me that that person is mentally well. And we know that in other instances, police have been called, um, you know, uh, other shooters to their home multiple times, and, and they're like, oh yes, we're familiar with this person because uh, of instances, you know, they're called to their home for domestic disturbances, and then, um, you know, it, I mean, the list goes on, and now my record, it's, it's, uh, it's forever up on, on, uh, on Capital TV, on the state legislation right, yeah. website. So people, if, you know, want to know where I stand, they can watch those videos. But that night, I hate to be so long and so... You're not long. I know you said you have a ton of tight, you had a busy yeah. day. I, my you... mom just had surgery, so I've got to go check on her in okay. a little bit. And yeah. You know, got some other, like, a campaign stuff going on, but... Okay. I don't want to keep you too long, so you're 12.30 right now. Just let Thank me know you. what you're thinking. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but uh, there was... I'm going to use an example for another bill, and it's a, another controversial bill. And it's not to, you know, really discuss the con to discuss uh, how controversial it was, but there was a vote, and it was on the expansion of Roe versus Wade, so allowing abortion up until the moment of, of, of birth. And um, controversial bill, and in committee the Senate version came and it was shot down. And we were like, like surprised and overjoyed, you know, because a lot of people thought it just went too far. And um, we're like, wow, this is gonna be great because the House version is identical. So we already had a no vote and no one's changing their vote. So we know that this bill's gonna die. But because leadership knew that they didn't have the votes in the Judiciary Committee, they had decided to uh, seconds, just seconds before another up and down vote up or down vote to move it to a different committee. I had never, ever, ever been done before at the state house. So because they didn't have the votes, they moved it to another committee and it sailed right through. So they subverted the, the process in order to get their way, which is undemocratic. And so when the gun legislation came up, I will tell you that I was whipping votes on the Democrat side to be like, hey, you know your district, they will not be happy with this legislation. Oh, I can't do it, I have to vote with, with leadership. I was like, you have to think about your election and, and your constituency and you have to, mm. you know, and so. I know a lot of Democrats, a lot of Democrat friends that either hunt or go shooting for fun and they're yeah. very law-abiding people. Yeah. Oh, man. And so. You know, like usually you would whip votes in your own caucus. Yeah. But I'm trying to whip votes, you know. Yeah, so, whip, so whip votes, it means that you're just trying to... Trying to get everybody to vote a certain way. Okay, okay. So that's you right. know, whip them, you know, yeah. into shape. That's what I thought it yeah. was. Okay, that's where it comes from? Yeah, okay. I, I, that's, yeah. I mean, imagine it's like you're going to whip them, you know, yeah. whip the votes. <laughs> um, so, you know, and my colleagues are doing the same who are trying to, and they're like, no, no. And then finally, um, you know, the vote comes and the bill dies in committee and what is it uh, how does it die in committee how does that work? the votes if you tie a vote yeah. it dies it can the rules in the senate say you cannot bring back the same bill um for a vote you have to wait till the next year so committee being a meeting you had a meeting and there was what show of hands kind of thing how does that so work? committee you have a yes or a no vote so in the okay. committee are the, these are the individuals that sit through 
you know, judiciary and listen to the hours of testimony that come in. So experts and people from the public. And the committee is nine people. And we had, um, we knew that we were going to lose, I think like, I think it was nine, uh, four, four to five, no, three to six. But then I was going to come in and that was going to make it four to six. Actually, no, I think it was, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot exactly how it was going to work. But because I had ex officio and I had voting privileges on yeah. the committee, I was like, I'm going to come in and vote. So we had Democrats and Republicans on a no vote. And then um, we knew that their leadership was going to come in on their ex officio privileges. So in the end, what happened was it was a tie vote. And a tie vote is, is dead. You have okay. to have at least win by one. And so everybody was excited. And you should have seen the gun guys. They're like, yeah, they were cheering. And um, and they didn't bring up the other vote. And I was, I was walking out. They're like, we did it. And I was like, guys, I was here for the abortion vote. And they pulled some really you know underhanded stuff to get that bill passed. I said, the Senate version, or was it the House version, is still alive. We only killed one bill. So that was for the House? That, yeah, so they were identical. In order mm -hmm. to, for us to, to pass a law, we pass it in both chambers and they have to go through both committees. Got it. Okay. So we've got a Senate bill, we pass it, we send it to the, the House, they send it to a committee and they pass it, and then we pass it on the floor, and then they, you know, we pass our Senate version, and then they pass their House version. If they both pass, then it become and the governor signs it, it becomes law. So much work. So much work. So much time so, so and preparation. Much time. Yes, yeah. Jeez. So we'll be like, oh, this is identical to the bill, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we've already debated this, so we won't debate it again. And my vote was no, so it's, it's no again, you know. Um, so everyone was excited, and I was like, remember the abortion vote? They pulled some underhanded stuff, and they passed that night. Mm -hmm. And some of the people, you know, weren't as excited because they were like, yeah, I remember. And others were like, we did it. I was like, oh, do not celebrate. It was mm -hmm. premature, very premature. So they um, decided to use a rule to move a bill from a committee to the floor if it had already been heard. And the rule was used improperly. And we tried on the Senate floor to um, prevent the bill from, from a vote. And so that night we had some people from Zambrano Hospital and I had stepped out of the chambers to say goodbye to those individuals. And so Whip Rogers, um, or he wasn't actually with at the time, but Senator Rogers um, stood up and objected. Mm -hmm. And then someone came in and was like, you have to come right now, you have to come right now. So I went in um, because we had a vote. And the Senate president would not allow Senator Rogers to state his objection. And so they took a vote and two members were away. One was on a business trip, one was at his um, son's wedding in France. Yeah, how do they vote if they're not there? You can't vote. You can't do by phone? No. So, yeah, so the senators that were there, it was such a close vote, and so they prohibited Senator Rogers from object objecting, and thus being able to take a vote on um, removing that piece of legislation off of the calendar. Why would they prohibit him <coughs> vote? I, I, I... Because it's not really a democratic process. Well, well, other reason, like from their perspective, is there any potential reasonable explanation behind why they would prevent them? Simply because they have the power, they will use the power, and mm. and because simply could, because they can. And so then right there on the Senate floor, the Senate president says, well, we're going to move it to, you know, number 25 on the calendar, and we had like, you know, 60 bills on the calendar that night, 
we're going to move to t Bill 25 on the calendar, and um, you have X amount of minutes to prepare all your floor amendments. So it's like, okay. So we're going to... I remember watching this part of it where it was just like they were rushing you guys. Yeah. It was very, very quick. So I turned around to my lead and I was like, all right, put in this amendment, do this amendment, and then Gordon's like, do this amendment. And we're like trying to throw amendments at our legal counsel who's like writing as fast as he can to get this information down to legal counsel so legal counsel can... Um, draft the the okay. the um, the, um, the amendments. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the amendments were like grandfather clause for those who already have high capacity. Right, you you're know, making air quotes. Yeah, yeah, like, high capacity twelve. What round, is that? It's like, it, I mean, it's an arbitrary number. It's like, how do you come to the conclusion that it's high capacity? Like your definition may be ten, my definition may be thirty. Right. You know. Well, then what happens then is like our, our family. We have guns, and so we're looking at it. We're, we're saying. If you have an 18 round mag or a 12 round mag, you are now automatically a criminal. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've gone through significant training courses, you name it. Yeah. And now all those need to be disposed of, or we face what jail time? Is it jail time? What's the what's the punishment yeah. for? Yeah. You, the the attorney general says that he's not going to, and I don't believe anything they say. He says that he's not going to seek out individuals that have high capacity magazines but if they happen to find that you have it because they're there for a different reason then they will charge you and yeah the law's a law I mean, the law's a law so you know if you're having a party at your house and it gets a little loud and you know your neighbor gets upset because they want to sleep and they call domestic disturbance and say hey my neighbor and they come and they happen to see a firearm and like oh hey hmm, let's see uh, if you have any other firearms in the house and they happen to find a magazine guess what somebody just called because you know, you were noisy and found that you have magazines and it mm -hmm. comes into a simple complaint it turns into a felony charge. Jeez. So, I mean, you take into account the, the banning of anything above a 10-round mag. So that means we now have to get rid of them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Can we sell them legally? No, you can't. Well, you could try. I mean, but who wants to purchase a used magazine? You don't know if it's no. not if it works yeah. you know you could try to return it to the shop that you bought it at but do you think they're gonna that's a liability issue they're not gonna take it back from you so here's the one thing too that I um, <laughs> as I was debating on the floor uh, one senator progressive was talking about the constitutionality of the appointment of an individual because it was supposed to go through committee but it didn't the governor decided to appoint someone and I was like you know what this individual is right the constitutionality like I had not when I read the, um, through that piece of legislation that was going to be heard, I was like, wow, he's right. And I, I didn't know that. Like, I, it, was, it was an oversight on my part. So um, my yes vote turned to a no vote because I was like, brought up a good point. And then um, as he was arguing the constitutionality, the um, majority leader stood up and said, well, it's not unconstitutional until it gets challenged. So his mentality is, we know it's unconstitutional, but we're going to do it anyway, and then you could take it to court and challenge us, and then if you win, okay, it's unconstitutional. Is it being, is that it's happening now? Nobody did it, because it was just a, an appointment, you know, by okay. the governor. Yeah. But the point is, that's what they did with the magazine capacity, because right. what I'm told, and I totally, absolutely believe this, is that when they asked leadership... Democrat leadership passed this legislation. Why did you do it? They said, well, the Supreme Court will likely overturn. Um, it's just a good show of faith, kind of. Exactly. It's all, it's all for votes, it's oh. all for show. So they're like, 
It's probably going to be ruled unconstitutional anyway, so... But it's got their votes. But to appease the the far left of their party, they put on a really good show. So... It's unbelievable. It's hard to believe. But where are are state legislators, or where are you with the counter-offense to that? Is there any type of lawsuit going on right now with... There, there are lawsuits currently in the hopper, and you know I. What's the hopper? Um, when I hear hopper, I hear those commercials. <laughs> yeah, the <but> hopper. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like um, they're they've been filed and they're just waiting to be heard, and so. So it's a, it's like a. a it's pipeline. kind of like almost like yeah pipeline, but the Supreme Court, you know, I keep checking the docket to see if they're yeah. going to hear it because. I mean, everyone that I talk to says, yeah, yeah, the Supreme Court's going to hear it eventually, but the Supreme Court can decide not to hear it, or the Supreme Court can decide to take years to hear it. Yeah. We don't know. Um, but, um, so, in all likelihood, it will, know, be. it will be overturned. Who's filing these lawsuits? Is it senators, or is it private citizens? Private citizens. People with money, probably. Um, one of them is a gun shop in Gloucester that started it, and they have multiple uh, litigants. Like they okay. signed their name to the the lawsuit, yep. but there are other people that are doing it as well. Um, so it's possible that you know um, they could all kind of be like lumped together. Yeah. And and heard class action is that what that would be? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So one really quick thing with the with the firearms was we drove to uh, Nashville for a show, we drove to Austin, Texas for a show, and then we did one in Miami. It was a very long drive. <laughs> and uh, on our way from Austin to Miami, we were crossing over the line from Texas into, I think that's Louisiana, I want to say. My geography is, I think it's Louisiana. That's right. You're, all you got to care about is Rhode Island, right? I don't even care. It's just Rhode Island. <laughs> but I think it was the, ne- the next day over, and... As soon as we, so we get across, we stay in a hotel, wake up the next morning, and I've talked about this before, but we're in our car, we're in this, we have a white Chevy Equinox, and we're, my, uh, my girlfriend and I, were sitting in the front seat, and all of a sudden in front of us, like maybe 30 yards, there's these two characters, you could call them, very, very like ripped clothes, not looking too sharp, uh, really like shaggy looking, um, it, it just didn't something didn't seem right and I'm not one to judge a book by its cover but when something doesn't seem right and you feel the energy and you see things they're, they're acting weird they're yelling at each other as they're getting closer now we're parked curbstone hotels in front of us and so there's like a sidewalk and they're walking down the sidewalk right towards us right in front of us now they're like 20 yards and you can start you can hear and they're yelling and they start throwing stuff like into the garden around like because the garden is between them and the hotel so now they're throwing things in the garden like what the heck are they doing as they get closer olivia says to me she's like i think he's got a knife in his hand like huge blade like big time blade almost a foot long maybe could have been like an eight inch blade and i'm like okay i say it's a closer door we still have our hatch open with all our luggage and stuff i'm like and now's not the time to get out they're yelling at each other actually it was three people i'm gonna say it's three people and as they get close to another 10 yards, right in front of us, uh, guys got a gun. Like, just a silver gun, oh screaming, yelling at each other. That's, even in Texas, even in the most conservative places, yeah. that's illegal. It's like you said, it's brandishing. You can't do that. You can't. So they've not only gotten probably an illegal blade, and then they've got an illegal weapon, or a weapon that's being oh my goodness. carried right now. So what if they aren't, what if they aren't arguing themselves? What if they're hopped up on drugs? What if something's yeah. going on? Now, the two of us don't have any kids, but the two of us are sitting there. I call it like Bambi 
we're sitting there innocent as could be not doing anything and we could be easily targeted yeah. whether it be for money whether it's just a random act and to say that a person especially as people that that uh, travel quite a bit that move around the map quite a bit you're more at risk for something going wrong mm. and to say that you can't carry a firearm to protect yourself it's it's telling you it's telling me that you can't defend yourself i mean because people are always going to get a gun we know that i mean there's black markets for everything mm -hmm. and if you make a law against it only the good people suffer and it's just like what you said with the schools make the schools safer what could we do more to make you could say the gun world safer yeah. what do you i mean what if you could propose legislation for it on from Republicans that would say to the Democrats, this is what we would say, outside of making schools safe or outside of putting police, but what would you say to just firearms in general? What could we do to make it safer? I think immediately we could invest in our schools. And, you know, as a, as a mom who brings her kids to school, you know, because those things are on my mind, I think, how can I make the school safer? And I'm like, I could probably do this, this, and this. And then you hear stories of things like, well, the back door was propped open, mm -hmm. you know. So there needs to be consequences for for a protocol that's broken, because those those broken protocols can lead to some serious consequences, you know, in, in the form of like you know, injuries or death. Um, so we need to protect our students in the schools. So if that means you know cameras or um, entryways where you know you walk into the school, there's an area in which you know you you meet the receptionist, mm -hmm. but it's you can't leave that area, right? You can't uh, progress to the next um, hallway. Um, whatever it is, because every school, some schools are older, so you need to be more creative. Some schools are they're being built. We can make sure that they're, you know, state of the art when it comes to safety. Um, I think that having um, an ROTC officer at each school is is a good thing because they're trained to, and they would be trained with children, not necessarily adults, because they'll have adult training, but for um, how to handle adults, but how to, um, you know, if they see something that's off, to let the social worker know or the, the school psychologist know to say, hey, you know, um, I see these patterns with this child. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it, it's not, because the schools already do that, but not necessarily for crime. But, you know, if a teacher sees something like, Johnny's not taking a shower, you know, and he comes to school and he smells right. really bad, yeah. and, you know, he can't focus, and he's a little bit antisocial or whatever it is, like, they're going to let the school social worker know, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they'll, they'll investigate. Is he being abused or neglected? You know, what's going on? Are the fam is the family, you know, suffering from, um, you know, homelessness or whatever it is? They're, they're going to try to figure out so they can help the family. So um, those are important things because we're seeing that these young Starts young. Mostly men, yeah. right? It's boys. I haven't yeah. really seen women do this, although I'm sure there are. Yeah, right. I haven't seen any. And, um, and ascertain whether or not, you know, they have a mental health issue. And then I think that there we need to have intervention in place for these individuals, like mm -hmm. services. We do not have enough medical providers here in Rhode Island. Yeah. And that comes from hospitals to CNAs and nurses to mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. If you want to see a mental health professional, it's going to take you a while to, to see one. Just get in line. Just Yeah, exactly. And so um, I think that we can do a lot in mental health, but we also need to protect privacy and yeah. of individuals. It's a very fine line. And so one thing I hate to do is 
uh, and, and politicians do this a lot of times, it's like they'll pretend to have the answers or just project like, yeah, yeah. I would need to talk to mental health experts, and then I would need to talk to um, lawyers, law experts, to find out how do we marry the two without infringing on individuals' rights yeah. and their medical privacy, and at the same time protecting children. And, um, you know, it's not even just children, it, it could be anybody, but we care mostly about the children right now, so we're saying, okay, okay, you know, the mall shooter or whatever, that, that doesn't happen, at least it's not televised as often as school shootings. So um, what are the things that we can do right now, mm -hmm. which is fortify the school? And what can we- that's the most dominant that's happening in school exactly. shootings. Exactly, yeah. at least the ones that are televised, right? Yeah. What can we do right now, immediately? Schools. We can protect the children by fortifying schools. How can we fortify schools? Let's do you know X, Y, and Z. Now, from there, mm -hmm. what can we do long term to help students? And long term, I think, is the mental health um, like interventions and initiatives. We look for quick fixes. We do, and, and everything. We <laughs> yeah, and right? you can't fix everything with quick fix. You can make um, mm. you know you can make a quick fix as in like fortifying the schools, but that doesn't solve the problem. Right, right. How can we help these young people get the help that they need? Because, you know, here's the other thing. Um, not to give names away or, like, you know, uh, you know, identifying information away, but uh, someone had shared with me and that they had uh, a schizophrenic family member. And this family member was seeing things, and this family member decided they weren't going to go to the hospital they weren't going to seek help, they weren't going to take their medication. And so they were hallucinating. They were seeing, you yeah. know, they thought that somebody was in the basement, you know, um, abusing women. There's nothing in the basement. Um, you know, and uh, at one point this individual said, I'm going to kill my father if he doesn't answer or doesn't whatever. It was not on a message, they had it on the answering machine. And so this person went to the police department and said, hey, listen to this message, this person's not taking the medication, da-da-da-da-da. And the police did not intervene. They didn't go and pick up the individual and bring them to, like, Bradley or Butler Hospital and section them. It's like when you take somebody and, and section them, that's, uh, like, I think uh, 72 hours where they have to be held in a hospital yep. to be evaluated. And um, eventually that person killed himself. Thankfully he didn't kill his father, but we have a failure in the system to help these individuals. Did that man have to die? He didn't have to die. But he lacked the medical intervention that was necessary mm. in order for him to not hurt himself or his, or his family. What about training? Because I, I think it's important. I think government has a, has a role um, in making sure people are safe. It has an equal role to making sure their rights are upheld. But what could we do, and I think one of, and I'll just give you one of the ideas that I've come across, is that we all have our driver's license, mm -hmm. we've all had basic training on how to operate a motor vehicle, mm -hmm. why isn't the same done with firearms? And not that it's mandated um, in the sense that you have to go to a state building to do it, but gun shops could do it, gun shop owners could do it, in the sense that if I'm going to go fire, buy a firearm, there be a shotgun, I get my background checked on, I think it's a seven day hold before I'm able to get it. Those are good things, those are all great things. But the fact that I can take the gun home and not know how to use it is alarming to me. That's what, I mean, I don't know if that, that itself prevents a shooting, but 
I think it's dangerous to take a gun from a gun store, especially somebody's new to firearms, to go in to buy something. You've cleared your background checks, you're a good citizen, but now how many accidents happen where no one dies, nothing's reported, those things we don't have the stats for, but a round goes through the pole because they didn't realize, oh my God, I thought it, I thought it was empty. Mm. How does this work? We've got to pull the thing back. Why isn't there basic training? Just like there's a blue card test for Rhode Island, that's right. good. Um, but it doesn't seem sufficient enough to the point where you take a test or you're instructed on how to use something. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me. As an independent, that bothers me to know that. And that, and not to, not to say that there should be a test or somebody saying, yes, you can have it or yet, no, you can't. If you've cleared your background check, if you've done all that work, all you have to do now is to take, a, I don't know, a three-hour course, two-hour course. Here's how you use a firearm. Why isn't that a law? Why isn't that something? I think uh, actually some states do that. I think um, I think Massachusetts does something similar where you have to sit through a course and um, to use I, to know how to use it. Yeah, but I don't know if they actually handle a firearm in the class, but I know there's a course that you have to take. So every state is different. I think that um, you know in Rhode Island, I remember taking the blue card test. So I read the book, but I also went to the range with friends who had firearms so that I knew how to properly handle one. Right. And, um, but what if you didn't have friends? Yeah, like, what, what if, if I didn't have friends? Like, to... you know, I would go to the, you know, I, had, I guess I'd go to the range and be like, hey, do you By have yourself? a class? They do have ladies' right. classes. They, they do? They okay. do, yeah. See them all the time. Free classes, yeah. ladies' night at the range, learn how to properly use one, and it's free. So the Second Amendment community, um, because they want people to be knowledgeable and feel safe, mm -hmm. they provide these, these free classes. And, um, Do you think it's the role of government, though, to say you need to be, you need to learn how to use it before you can possess it? And once you've learned it, you're done. You don't have to do it again. But once you pass that basic course, I don't know if I'm overstepping. Yeah. And I, I have no idea. That's but. a really great question. I have to say I have a little bit of a libertarian streak in me. Not that I'm a, a libertarian, but I feel like um, if we're going to streamline the process, first of all, I do believe in state rights. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, the federal government has gotten very large, larger than I think our, our founding fathers had envisioned. And there is a role for federal government, but the states were really meant to have their, I don't want to say autonomous, but their state, mm -hmm. right? You know what it does? And I don't need to try Go ahead, no. But it almost creates a sense of competition, just like businesses have with each other. We're, we're in a, a Walmart parking lot, right? <laughs> yes. Target is competition. Yes. I like Target better. Why? Because yeah. it's cleaner, products are a little more premium. Yeah. So just what's happening right now with the last two years, where it's been very questionable for music. We plan a show, governor comes up, changes the rules, half capacity. You've got to be kidding me. We just spent three months promoting and marketing. Now we can only sell half the tickets. Yeah. This isn't going to work here. So I can move to another state mm -hmm. that affords me those liberties that I know there's leadership in those states that are going to say we're not going to have those type of tyrannical rules that are going to change your entire life. Unless we had a plague, mm -hmm. of course, that's when it's much more reasonable. But I think that there's some type of, I don't want to call it capitalism, but just competition is good. And I think that's a good thing that the states have the individual uh, rulemaking ability yeah. rather than just a blanket of federal rules. It's just, yeah. I don't think anybody wants that. Once you learn. No, and I feel like even though renown is so small, I hate it when legislators uh, try to pass a law and they say, you know, that may sound really great for Providence, but it doesn't work in Gloucester. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, even with, like, uh, affordable housing, 
Um, we want to see affordable housing. I want, you know, what we do, we need to build. In order to make homes avail available and affordable, so we need to have more homes on the market. And so, but one of the things that they want to do with affordable housing in Gloucester, which is not a sexy topic, but um, there's no sewer in Gloucester. And you get, you have your, um, you know, like you don't have town sewer. You have your septic systems. Okay. Yeah. okay? So those are very expensive. Mm -hmm. And you need a well because you don't have city water in Gloucester. You get a well. So how do you build affordable housing for individuals coming from Providence or whatever? And we want, we want you to come, but we don't have busing because Ripta doesn't come to Gloucester. Mm -hmm. We don't have those services, so it's very expensive. And the, again, we could do it somewhere where we have water and sewer already you know there's a line and you just build a house and you attach the line mm -hmm. and it's affordable but it's a, like a one-size-fits-all approach where it's like well in Gloucester if you want affordable housing the government's gonna have to kick in some money to offset the cost of those very expensive projects in order to put a home there for an individual yeah can we do it yeah but you know not without the state helping us without right. a subsidy from the state mm -hmm. so what I mean is like a one-size-fits-all approach is like yeah it might work in Providence but not necessarily somewhere mm -hmm. else so um, I do like the autonomy of the states and I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's never a question that's been asked to me, but I, I will certainly think about it. Yeah, I, I just I, I just wonder if there's something we can do that doesn't infringe on rights. It's not making it so that you can't get anything. There's no uh, judgment of someone saying you're unfit other than as long as you pass the background checks. It's more so just to make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. And. I don't know. I, I, people that already have weapons, they're in their 60s, they've had weapons their whole life. Maybe there's an exemption for that. You don't have to do that. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I just think there's got to be something that I don't, just makes it safer for the user to start. When you're starting to use it, there should be some type of direction for it. And then beyond that, who knows? That's, I loved what you said about how you wouldn't, you don't like to just jump to what you think a solution is. You'd want to consult this idea or many ideas with lawyers or people that understand the constitution in their yeah. Field, you know? yeah 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 because we could have ideas all day long but then somebody who knows something might say hey look look this is why this is bad yeah exactly <laughs> one last question for you because yeah. you're gonna run yeah why is the electoral college only applicable at the federal level and not at the states that's a great question probably because they'll call it unconstitutional like let me give you an example actually i'm going to put this bill in next year and it is it was ruled unconstitutional, but in order for it to become law, it has to go to the voters on a, like, a referendum, so the voters would vote on the ballot. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that um, I think that the Rhode Island government, uh, State House, the General Assembly, should be more like the U.S., uh, like Congress and the right. U.S. Senate, in that right now senators represent a certain number like a population. Every every summer gets an equal amount within a five point plus or five point of five percent plus or minus so that we're in the same range. And same thing with the House, except the House represents double what the Senate represents. Excuse me, half of what the Senate represents. So I represent double of what a rep would send, um, mm -hmm. represent. So I have actually four reps in my Senate district. Got it, okay. okay. So a senator has more weight than a House representative. You would think so, but um, I don't want to say, wait, we have more people to represent, but if I'm being honest, again, because the speaker is the most powerful, mm -hmm. the reps probably have a little bit more power than the senator. Okay, yeah. 
if, if I'm looking at it, you know, the way that legislation is, is decided, a lot of it comes because the speaker and the Senate president agree, and, and of course they bring the governor on board, and usually they're, you know, of like mind. So I think in order to bring balance to Rhode Island, I think that the House remains as, as it is now, where it's by population. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, and the Senate would be more like the U.S. Senate, where regardless of your population, you get uh, one senator. Or, well, in, in the U.S. Senate, you get two senators. In Rhode Island, you get one senator. So I represent Burrillville, Gloucester, North Smithfield. But if my law were to pass, then Burrillville will get one senator, Gloucester would get a senator, and North Smithfield will get a senator. It wouldn't just be one senator for the for the those three towns. Um, Foster would get one senator. Right now, Foster's um, senator represents four towns, and instead of having like three senators from Providence, you would just have one. So Providence wouldn't have more of a say than Burrillville or Gloucester or whatever. So instead of having 38 senators, we'd have 39, one for each city and town because they would be equal in the Senate. Mm -hmm. But in the House. There are more more reps for Providence because there are more people in Providence, mm -hmm. and there were fewer for North Smithfield because there were few people in, in North Smithfield. So you like the that for the House, but not for the Senate. So we would mirror, we would mirror um, uh, the Capitol where we would got have, it in DC for the main thing. Okay, exactly. gotcha. Right. So Rhode mm -hmm. Island gets two senators. California gets two senators. Mm -hmm. We obviously are very different in, in size and population. But we have equal we have an equal voice in the Senate. But in the House, they California has like fifty six reps, mm -hmm. and Rhode Island only has two. But because of population, they have more of a say in the House. And I though the way that I learned, and I could be wrong, is that you know in the House, um, it's whatever the issue of the day is, right, or the time where it could be lots of. Um, you know, passions and flares of, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. of uh, <laughs> fights or whatever. Yeah. And, um, but when it comes to the Senate, that's where it comes to cool down, where cooler mm -hmm. heads prevail, where there's more thought um, to Why it. Why is that? I don't know, but that's just the way it's been. And I think... Huh. Less people, maybe? Maybe because Maybe, less. and also because they have six-year terms. So they're not really thinking about their re-election every two years. They're thinking, like, what's really that's good for it. the country. That's it, 100%. That's it, yeah. yeah. So I think okay. with the Senate should be the same thing, but also then because our senators are two years and our reps are two years, maybe the the Rhode Island senators should be four years, so they have that. Hey, bring it to the Senate. Let's really think about this. Think about, yeah, Is right. this really a prudent measure? Does this really help Rhode Islanders, or are we doing this because mm -hmm. politically it's good for us? So, and I think that actually would I know if we were to pass it, it would bring a lot of balance to the legislature because we would increase our numbers of um, Republicans or independents or whoever wants to run um, and balance it out with how many Democrats are in office. Right, right, right. Well, it seems I did a bad job explaining that, but I'm glad I tried it here because no, I'm going to try to explain it on other <laughs> radio shows if they have me. And they're like, hey, Senator, what's this about? No, I got it. I mean, in summary, you just want to make it mirror what's happening in D.C. Yeah. You I, want every, every, every city or every town to have equal representation. Yes. And then in the House, it should represent more so of the population. So right. you have more for Providence. That's what's bothered me a little bit about just the state levels is that you have a governor serving 
and basically everyone in Providence controls the governor of Rhode Island. Right. So everywhere else, there's almost no say. Right. It's kind of crazy, and it's almost like the Electoral College, I think, is a good thing because you get people from far-reaching oh, all yes. corners to have a voice. Yes. And why is that not part of the state level? Is that of a lapse in judgment in our founding fathers? No, no I think... Um, why wasn't that applied? Because states have autonomy, and they can choose how to do their elections. I see, okay. So, but nationally, I think they have it right, and like you said, it gives the voice to the little guy, you know? Rhode Island, people wouldn't say, I want to abolish the electoral college. Well, Rhode Island would be completely irrelevant if we did that. Completely, yeah. Like, don't even bother. And most people don't even bother with Rhode Island anyway, because we only have two, what, electoral, four electoral votes, excuse me, not yeah. two, yeah, yeah, yeah. four electoral votes. Um, so it's not like, you know, Rhode Island's a big deal. You would make us even more irrelevant. Um, One of these days, though, it's going to come down to Rhode Island. We're going to be the last. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's. I think this is a field where you're, I don't know, it, it's, there's not a lot of genuine people in politics. Mm. And you strike me as someone who's very genuine. I follow you on Instagram. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I see a lot of stuff that you're putting forth and it's, it's, um, you know, whether we agree or disagree on something, I I get the feeling it's genuine. You're doing it because you love your country, your state, your family, your friends. It seems genuine. It really does. And that's, Thanks. we need more of that. We definitely need more of that. Thank you. So. That's very kind of you. When you run for president? Never. <laughs> hey, you said you'd never Although, run for Rhode I know, Island, I know, right? but my, my youngest son is always like, Mommy, you should be president. I'm like, I'm so glad that my son has so much faith in me. You know, my 10-year-old, that he thinks I should be president. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. hey, if we can get you to D.C., my gosh, in any capacity, any yeah. any thoughts on that? Well, I almost ran for Congress, and mm -hmm. I decided not to, so, but... Um, I have said, you know, because I never, I, I just never thought I'd run for office. If you had told me, I literally would have been like, you're on crack. Because I'm <laughs> yeah, not running yeah. for office, you know. Um, but here I am, and, you know, people ask me, do you like it? And I said, well, I feel like I'm effective. And I didn't realize how much I would um, enjoy advocating for the other side. Mm -hmm. Like, just because we're small um, doesn't mean that we should be ignored or that we have crazy ideas. Um, and... I like, you know, one of my colleagues said, you're the voice of reason. I was like, thank you, I appreciate that. I just want to have an honest debate about things. Let's mm -hmm. put, it, put it on the table, and let's be honest, and whatever's best, let's go with that. Um, so I've enjoyed advocating for the people in my community, and, um, and you know, I won't close the door if, if something, if it's the right time, and something does, you know, an opportunity presents itself. Maybe I will, mm -hmm. but maybe I won't. I'm not sure. Yeah, a lot of work we'll to be done here. I know, and you know what? I'm looking at these candidates, and they're raising like four million dollars, or spending, you know, millions and millions. I'm like, I'm just a regular girl, yeah. you know. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, trying to get my kids to school in the morning, make yeah. sure that they're fed, eating healthy, and you know, like, yeah. I'm not, you know, big CEO or anything like that. So, but, you know, I I'm a regular person. I represent regular people, and I think that we, our voices have been um, ignored, so. Yeah, yeah. Election day. What is uh, election day? November 8th. November 8th. Get out and vote, people. Thank you for spending time with me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, see ya.